Today, we continue in our series, Why Church Still Matters, and we've uh, just been taking time to look at the value of, of what we do here, God's intent and God's design with what we do here, and, and recognizing many times the growing trend um, that we see in our culture and with church of individuals really giving up and getting frustrated with church and walking away, not so much walking away from their faith, we do see that, but just walking away from the organized church and the organized gathering together. I think a phrase that I'll often hear both in the church setting as well as in, in the work setting, a phrase that we'll often hear is the phrase, better together. And a phrase like that, the target, the goal is to talk about the investment of teamwork and how uh, really we work better when we are connected, when we work together with a team. I think that very common phrase that I remember hearing my basketball coach use in high school is there's, there's no I in team. Uh, reminding us of the importance of working together. And we'll see different, I, I can read of all sorts of different examples from, from nature, from culture, from history uh, that show us how when we work together as an organization or as we work together as a team, that more is accomplished. Now, later in this series, I do talk, plan to talk about uh, the value of the gifting that God has placed in you, when you, the value of when you take that and you invest it into what God's doing through a local congregation, through the local community of believers. And so I really, I believe, really believe and stand beside and behind many of those illustrations and examples of why together matters. Uh, but this morning, I'd like to talk with you about a little bit of a different reason why together matters. Just because we are all together at the same organization or the same church or the same, uh, the same place doesn't necessarily mean that we're functioning together the way God designs and desires for us to function together. So this morning, I'd love to talk with you a little bit about what God's design is, his desire of why we gather and the value of being together. Um, to do so, normally I'll give you four or five different points to consider to take with you and to think about for the week. This, this morning, I don't really have any specific points to give you. Rather, what I'd like to do is take you through a journey of about maybe four or five different passages of Scripture that talk about uh, the importance of together, the importance of being together, the importance of gathering together, and what God's desire and design is through it. And as we look at these, think about five to all together, as we look at these passages, uh, hopefully it'll bring you to an understanding of seeing why when we gather, being together matters. So the first one is found in Hebrews uh, chapter 10. I want to look in verses 23 through 25. The book of Hebrews was written to uh, believers. Most think that they were believers living in, uh, they were Jewish believers living in Jerusalem. And while the specific authorship of the book of Hebrews is not completely known, many think that it was the Apostle Paul because of just style of writing and the things he covered, as well as just the knowledge he has. But really, to take and understand that it's being written to real people, real time, just like you, just like me, in a gathering of believers, um, probably in a person's home or a community of believers within that city. And listen to what Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the, the author is writing about some very deep and significant things of the faith. He's talking about the access we have to God through Jesus Christ. He's talking about the, the full assurance that we can have of our faith in Jesus. He's talking about having a clear conscience, that the work of Jesus is intended to clear your conscience from, from things that you've done in the past. He's talking about the significance of what Jesus was done, has done for us and on our behalf. And then listen to what he says, specifically when it comes to the topic we're talking about this morning. Verse 23. Let, and I just want to look at 23 through 25, um, and we'll look at each verse specifically for just a second. He says, Let us hold unswervingly to the faith, to the hope we profess, for he who promised 
is faithful. He says, let us hold unswervingly, unswervingly, or let us hold uh, without wavering, without doubt, without question, but let us hold firmly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And then he gives one way that we can do that. He says, here's one of the ways that we can demonstrate that we're holding unswervingly to the faith. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Look at verse 24 one more time. It says, and let us consider. Let us consider. What he's saying is let us put some thought into it. Let us put some effort into it. Let us invest our thinking into coming together. Many times when we gather together, we are not really, I don't, I really think it's safe to say we're not thinking so much about what can I do that's going to benefit others. More times we walk through the doors thinking, what can I get from it today? Um, I'll have individuals who, when they will get frustrated with church just over the years, and it's a phrase that I've often heard, it's not anything new, and uh, they'll say, well, when they're leaving the church, they're frustrated, they'll say, I'm just not getting fed. I'm just, I'm just not getting fed. I'm just not receiving something. And I'll graciously tell them, well, if you're saying you're not getting fed, when you're referring just kind of like to the life cycle, say I'm not getting fed, there's only two phases in the, in the human life that we, are, we need someone to feed us. The first one is infancy. The other one is death. So if you're saying you're not getting fed, which one are you in your Christian faith? Are you an infant or are you on in the last stages of your faith? I, really, there's a responsibility that we each have in the faith to be growing and making sure that we're growing. So it says that when we gather together, it says talking about our gathering, let us consider, let us put some thought into how we can encourage and push others forward. Many times we'll gather, and to be honest, I think we come and we think about competing, not completing one another. We think about how we're, we're competing, we're measuring ourselves to others, measuring what others have, where others are at, what others happen in, what's happening in others' lives, and we don't slow down to think about that. God's desire is that we're not competing with other believers, but rather the investments that he's put in you are meant to be helping complete other believers. So he says, let us consider, let us put thought into how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. He says spur or to stir up, to encourage others to go forward in love and good deeds. And then verse 25, not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. He says not giving up, though the phrase that he's using, some translations would even say abandoning, that you're not abandoning the faith. So the whole idea behind it is instead of getting frustrated and walking away, Look for opportunities to help others grow. Look for opportunities to help others move forward in the faith, to help others, uh, to advance them, Look to, to stir up, to, to spur other, others on forward in their faith. But that points out a specific or an interesting trend, and that is that individuals in this day were in the habit of giving up on meeting together. And I see that and I realize the gap of time between people then and people now, but yet the trend is the same, the habit of giving up on gathering together. Now, I, I think there's a number of contributing factors that you and I could look at. There's a number of things we could point to to say, well, this is why people are, are giving up on church. This is why people are getting frustrated. This is why people are walking away. But I really think if we could boil it down, there's all the different things. We, we can point to uh, being relevant. We can point to all sorts of things. But when it comes down to it, I think the number one reason people are giving up on church, we're walking away from gathering then and walking away from gathering now, the number one reason is that it's hard. The number one reason that people give up on gathering together is because it's hard. 
Think about the things in your own life. Think about human, your human habits, your nature, that most times we give up on something because it's hard. We give up on something because it involves sticking with it, because it involves having uh, diligence, enduring through it. We give up on it because it's hard. Think about how many diets you started that were hard to finish. We, just, there's a number of things that we could put into because it's hard. And I think that many individuals then and now give up on church because it's hard. And the reason it's hard is not because of style or culture or message or music. The reason it's hard is sitting next to you because it involves people. Because it involves, okay, not next to you, the person behind you. We'll go there. I realize it just got some husbands and wives in trouble. I saw some husbands squeezing their wives. It's not you. He's not talking about you. The person sitting behind you or in front of you. The church is hard. It's difficult because it involves people. And when I look at it, is that really our goal is not to give up on people because it's hard, but what Hebrews says is to move forward, encourage others to go forward in the faith, but keeping in mind that most often we give up and we get frustrated because it's hard. Now, it's with that in mind, I want to invite you to go with me to Hebrew, or to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to end up back in Hebrews 10, so if you have something, you can stick it there. If you're on new version, you can follow along in the notes. It has all the verses put right there for you, but keeping in mind that we most often give up because it's hard, because it's challenging, because it involves work. Ephesians chapter 4, look in verse 3. Again, in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul here is writing to believers, much like you and me, talking about some of the, the key things that happen in our lives, how our lives are changed because of Jesus, that what Jesus does and how he changes us and who he is and his indwelling spirit living in us, transforming us, renewing us, uh, making us more like him, that out of that work, he begins to, in Ephesians 4 and 5, he begins to talk about this radical shift of who we are and who we're to become. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He doesn't say, look at this with me, if you can leave it on screen. He doesn't say, it says, make every effort. He doesn't say, make a good try, trying to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He doesn't say, give it your best shot. He doesn't say, there's any number of things. He says, make every effort. And the word that he uses to speak of effort, what he's talking about is he's really talking about striving. He's talking about challenges. He's talking about difficulty. It's a word that really is often used to talk about reaching an obstacle or a challenge that needs effort to push through. And he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So you'll notice one of the things that he's talking about is he's talking about relationships. He's not talking about major sin issues at this point. He's not talking about sexual temptation. He's not talking about unclean language. He's not talking about impure thoughts. He's not talking about all sorts of things that we'll cover later in Ephesians 4 and 5. Right now what he's talking about is relationship. And he says, make every effort to push through the barriers to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And when he's talking about relationships, he's not talking about your strange coworker, your difficult mother-in-law, your annoying neighbor. That's not what he's talking about in relationships. What he's talking about in relationship is he's talking about the people you walked in the doors with. 
He's talking about the gathering of believers. He's talking about the person you walked past this morning, the person sitting in front of you, the person sitting behind you, the person sitting two people over from you. He's talking about the person who is ta- you think is talking about you. He's talking about the person you're talking about. He's talking about relationships, and he's talking about the community of believer relationships. And what he's talking about in that, he says, keep, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, make every effort to focus on the development of those relationships. Why? Not for the sake of un- just for the sake of unity, not just for the sake of saying we get together, not just for the sake of saying, well, we're all under the same banner, the same church, the same name. He says, for the sake of the Spirit, keep the, for the, keep, keep the bond of unity, the sake of the Spirit, recognizing that the Holy Spirit is at work in it. And really what it shows when you look at this in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, is he's identifying that there's not just a natural reason for trying to get along. There's not just a natural reason. There is a supernatural reason. There is a supernatural potential when a congregation, when a community of believers walks in unity together. He points this out. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So to keep this in mind, that there's a supernatural quality to the unity that we are intended to walk in, that God's design is for you and for me to walk in, I want to have you go with me to the next passage. Go to uh, Psalm chapter 133, Psalm 133, keeping in mind that there's a supernatural quality to unity when we, as a congregation, as a community of believers, can achieve it and can walk together. Psalm 133. The psalm we're about to read is very short, just a handful of verses, three in all, and it's describing the anointing process that took place for the high priest. The high priest, the the first high priest was Aaron, it's the brother of Moses, and he would get on these very ornate robes. You can look in the Old Testament, there's there's a number, in Exodus, there's a number of... um, of explanations on what the robes look like. There was the, uh, there's an explanation of the anointing oil that was created. What would happen is when, it, when Aaron was anointed high priest, then Aaron was anointed high priest, and then any successor after him, is there was, a, there was this anointing process that was setting him apart for the role that he was about to fill. And they would take this anointing oil, and they wouldn't just, like we have up here this morning, we have when we use it for praying for the sick, it's found in James, in James it talks about it, is taking a, a vial of oil and, and taking a, some oil and just anointing. It talks about anointing with oil for prayer for the sick, and we believe in that. We believe that it's a touch point. We believe that it's a step of obedience, oil representing the Holy Spirit. That's not how they anointed in the Old Testament. So when Aaron came forward and was ready to be anointed, Moses did not take a little thing of oil and get a little dab on his finger and make it in the sign of a cross or a little dab on his forehead or anything like that. It was really, it was a, it was a, a large amount of oil and it was poured over him so that he was drenched in it. So keep that in mind when we talk about what this, in Psalm 133, talking about the unity and the supernatural potential for the unity that God calls for us to walk in. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And here's what it's like. It's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For their unity, the Lord bestows his blessing and life forevermore. He's talking about unity, the unity that God designs and desires to exist among a community of believers. What God looks for in his people, he compares to the anointing process 
of the high priest Aaron. And in it, there's a couple of things that we can look at, and then it takes us to the next passage I want you to see to help us understand the significant quality of why unity is so important. So the first thing that we can see is that when it comes to unity, when God sees it and the supernatural quality behind it, is that it says in unity, when, when a congregation, when a community of believers exist and gather in unity, that that is where the blessing of God, that is where his favor rests. Verse 3, for where the Lord bestows his blessing, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. That when a congregation can gather in unity, that it's attractive to the favor and the blessing of God. That that's where he bestows his blessing. That it doesn't put his blessing on, on, on a gathering of believers that's in division, that's divided, that's fighting. That's, that he, he bestows his blessing on a congregation that is walking in unity. It's focused on him and walking in unity. And then the second thing about it, when it comes to Psalm 133, so the first one is that when, when a congregation gathers in unity, that that's where God bestows his blessing or gives his blessing. The second thing is that the anointing of the Holy Spirit flows. That when we walk in unity, when you and I exist in unity as a congregation, we gather in unity, not only is there the blessing of God, but the picture that's given is that the anointing of the Holy Spirit flows. The oil that was used to anoint Aaron, if you look up the formula for it in the book of Exodus, what is described as being the work of a perfumer. The individual would take a number of different specific oils and would mix them together. It was a work of really a very fragrant perfume. And in Exodus, it says not for, to make it and to use it for other things. It was specifically set aside for anointing the priests. And when the priest was anointed and that oil was poured all over Aaron, not only did it drench him, but for those who were there present and watching, there was an aroma that was released. There was an aroma that went out to everyone who was listening, to everyone who had gathered. When Aaron would walk past people after the anointing had happened, he would walk past them. There was this aroma. There was a cloud. There was an aroma that would go with him of people smelling the anointing that had just taken place in his life. So when we walk in, in, in unity and the blessing and favor of God rests upon a church family or a congregation or a state college assembly, not only does God bestow his blessing, but it says there's a release of the Holy Spirit in a supernatural way. There is a life-giving release of the Holy Spirit through a congregation when the focus is on him, the focus is on our Heavenly Father, and they're walking in unity so the Holy Spirit can flow through them. That there's a breath of life that is released into community, released into lives that come, in, come through the doors, released into people who are touched by the ministries as a congregation gathers and walks in unity. And then the third thing, there's a third picture out of this. And to get this, we need to understand that when Jesus prayed what we're going to look at, really this was a picture that he had in mind. This picture, this anointing taking place, this, this, uh, the picture that's given here of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so from that, I'm going to ask you to turn with me one more time or maybe a couple more times, but turn with me to, to John chapter 17. Jesus gives us a third benefit of walking in unity and existing in unity as a congregation. So the first one, we looked in Psalm 133, the first one is God's blessing is given. The second one is the anointing of the Holy Spirit is released and he flows. The, the third one, Jesus identifies with that in mind is that when those two things are happening, the third one is that Jesus is lifted up again and again to the community. Look at what he prays about in, in John chapter 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who, who will believe in me through their message. So he's talking about his immediate disciples, and then he's talking about us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. 
May they also be in us, just as the world may see that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That Jesus said that when, when believers, his disciples, can walk in unity, not only is there the favor of God, not only is there the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but it says the end result is that Jesus is lifted up, that Jesus is seen. That it's not a matter of division that's seen. It's not a matter uh, of, of uh, conflict that's seen. It's Jesus is seen. And, and one of the things that I specifically think of when Jesus prays this prayer, he's expressing his heart desire. And I think it's probably as closest to a command that we can, we can recognize. What Jesus is saying is his desire is that for believers, they are to live in, in the community with other believers, in relationship with other believers, in the congregation, gathering together like we're doing this morning, and walking in unity. And so it's impossible for a believer who gives up on church, gets frustrated with church, walks away from the, the local gathering of, of believers, it's impossible for them to fulfill these words of Jesus because they're removing themselves and isolating themselves from one of the very avenues that Jesus said he desires uh, for God to use. So it's recognizing God's desire, his work is for the Holy Spirit to flow through his congregation so that Jesus can ultimately be lifted up. Now, when I think about that, and you think about those three benefits of unity, number one, the favor of God's given, number two, the anointing of the Holy Spirit flows, number three, the, that Jesus is lifted up, what does division or what does disunity bring? It restricts the blessing of God, it causes his blessing to be withdrawn, it restricts and resists the flow of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus isn't lifted up. That's why the enemy loves division. He loves to create division because he can disrupt ultimately God's plan and his desire through his church. He loves division. He loves for you to get frustrated with somebody. He loves for you to get frustrated enough that you'll withdraw or disconnect from the congregation, withdraw or disconnect from the community of believers, or better yet, he loves for you to get frustrated because then he knows that if he can get you frustrated and you're focused on your frustrations, the things that, that stand out to you, and that's what he can get you to focus on, he knows that you immediately begin to really create room in your heart and in your life for him to work because he works in division. And so as I said at the beginning, church is hard. A church is difficult because it involves people, but God's design is that we really would strive to work forward together, to push others together forward, looking for the best in others, looking to help others grow, so that in the end, Jesus continues to be lifted up. Now, I think, and I'll share this sometimes during our, our membership class, one of the things that, that we think when it comes to the church is that we, it's very easy to think, well, um, the reason that the church should be special, the thing that should make church unique is that there's no disagreements. That we don't have disagreements, we can all get along because after all, we all love Jesus, right? We're all reading our Bible, right? We're all singing and, and focusing on him. And if we're all focused on Jesus, then we should all be able to get along. And the truth is, I think you and I know by now that that's not necessarily true. That as long as there are people in church, there will be disagreements. As long as there are people in church, there will, there will be conflict. That's just the nature of life. Um, the perfect church, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, the perfect church is an empty church. Um, that there will always be conflict. There will always be challenges. But I really believe that the miracle of the church, the miracle of the church is not that we don't have disagreement. The miracle of the church is that there's not ever conflict. The miracle of the church is 
that we know how to walk through conflict and we know how to walk through disagreement in a way that does not disrupt unity. That's the miracle of the church. There's always going to be challenge. There's always going to be difficulties. There's always going to be things that would rise up that maybe it's our preferences and someone else's preferences. They're always going to be there. But the, the miracle of the church is that Jesus stays the center, not our division, not our disagreement, not the issue that we may uh, be facing. And so our, temp- our temptation oftentimes, uh, when you look at what Jesus is praying for, uh, our temptation is, is really when we get frustrated is to give up and to walk away. It's to give up and to kind of really avoid dealing with the situation or just express our frustrations and to walk away. That's the easy way out. But if we will take to heart what, what we read in Hebrews and look to encourage one another forward, look to grow in ourselves, then in the end, we can become a part of not only what God wants to do in our lives, but also what he wants to do through others. And I really believe that one of the greatest avenues, specifically when it comes to unity, we're talking about unity in the larger context, why we, why we exist, why we gather together, but I really believe that when we walk in unity and we're committed to the process, that there is, there's an investment that God wants to do in each one of our lives through it. I really believe that it's through the local congregation that God wants to use to grow his nature and develop his nature within our hearts and within our lives. Look with me, if I can have you flip once again. Look with me and let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 23 through 20, 22 through 23. This is speaking of what is called the fruit of the Spirit. If you've grown up in, in around church or around Christian circles, you may be familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. It's just, there's a comparison list, list before us talking about when we're living life for self. This list we're about to look at called the fruit of the Spirit is talking about when the Holy Spirit is working through our lives. Look how he describes it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, depending on the translation you have, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And when it comes to this, when I, when I think of the, the fruit of the Spirit, and I even wrote this as a note in my Bible, is that the fruit of the Spirit, really the best way to think about it is it's what the Holy Spirit's nature looks like when he's allowed to live through our lives. It's what the, the nature of the Holy Spirit looks like and how he would respond, how he would act, how he would re- react in any given situation. This is what it would look like if he were living through us. And I think many times when, when it comes to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we, we want it to be that we're praying and God, all, God begins to develop his fruit in us. We're praying and God is giving us peace. We're praying and he's giving us patience. We're praying and he's giving us kindness. We're praying and it's just happening in our lives. But I really don't believe that that is, God can do it that way, but I don't believe that that is the way that God answers most of those prayers. We want, I really believe when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, we want the fruit of the Spirit to develop in our lives a lot like what would happen when you go to the produce stand and pick out your bananas or you pick out your apples or your oranges. You can walk in the grocery store, you can walk by the fruit stand on the side of the road, and you can walk up and it's all laid out, and it's all as fresh as possible, as ripe as possible, right in the best season, the best place, and you can walk up and say, I'm going to take that one and that one and that one and that one. This morning, I ate a banana before I came, and I walked up, and there was a basket of fruit sitting there, and I took one banana, I looked it over, found the best banana I wanted, and I ate it. I like, I like the immediacy of that, being able to find it right away. But that is not how the fruit of the Spirit comes into our lives. We don't get to walk up and pick the best piece, the, best, the, the ripest, the, 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 the freshest one right when we need it, and it's right there. Usually, the way the fruit of the Spirit happens in our lives is God doesn't lead us to the fruit stand to pick out the best 
Rather, he leads us to the fruit tree to cultivate it. See, a fruit tree involves going and pruning. It involves cutting back. It involves picking off rotten stuff and throwing it away. It involves, it involves a lot of work. It involves a lot of effort. And if you've ever taken a piece of fruit off of a fruit tree before it's ready, you'll find that usually it's bitter, it's hard, it's not enjoyable, or if it sits too long and it's not being utilized, then it becomes rotten, becomes stagnant, becomes old. See, God leads us, if we want the fruit of the Spirit, his nature to be developed in us, it's not going to come from the fruit stand. More times than not, it's going to come from the fruit tree. This is the fruit tree. This is where that happens. When we do life together, when we're engaged in community together, when we're engaged as a, as a community of believers saying, in spite of what my differences are, I'm committed to this right here. I want you to see a quote. We've been reading a book um, as a staff. It's something you read through uh, with our time of prayer and fasting. It's by Andrew Murray from Absolute Surrender. He says it this way. He says, we do not usually see our hearts as God sees them, so we need God to search us. As God searches our hearts, we need to pay attention and notice the results. He says, we need to pay attention and notice the results. Most times when I want God to reveal something to me, I want it to come at a certain space, a certain time, a certain place. And I think a lot of you are like that with me. See, I want God to show me the results of my heart, to pay attention and notice the results of my heart. I want it to be, and we want it to be most often, when we have our nice little quiet time set aside with God. I get up in the morning and I have my, my cup of coffee made just the right way. I'm sitting in my favorite spot in the living room. I perhaps have my, my, my best playlist of worship music happening. I kind of set the atmosphere and I have my Bible open to where I'm reading and then I can open my journal and I can have my pen out and I'm ready and I can be sitting there in my own little perfect world and I can be like, God, okay, I'm ready. I want you to, sh I want to pay attention and notice the results of what you're seeing in my life. That's where we want God to show us. But where God will most often show you and he'll most often show me is he'll bring someone difficult into my life. He'll bring someone challenging into my life. He'll bring someone who will stretch me into my life. And as he brings them into my life, it's going to be again to expose the deficiencies in my heart of his nature and where he wants me to be. The fruit tree versus the fruit stand. See, God's desire and his design for you as we walk in unity together is that his favor can be given, the Holy Spirit can flow freely, that Jesus is lifted up, and then the side result of all of that is his nature is being formed in us. That as Jesus is lifted up, we are becoming less and less and his nature is continuing to develop in us. That is why when you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, where we started this morning, Verse 24, he says, let us consider, let us put thought into how we can help others grow. Let us put thought in how we can spur one another towards love and good deeds, how we can help others move along. When I think about those difficult people that may come into your life, that may challenge you, that, that really are the avenues that God's using to show you where there's deficiencies of his nature in your life, I really think that many times, those times are associated with a thought that comes to our minds, and that's a good way that we can 
recognize that, wait a second, this is a chance that God is using to show me an area he wants to work in. And that thought that will most often come to mind in my mind and in your mind, that is the signal that the Holy Spirit's working. That thought is usually this. It's, what's their problem? I mean, that's the thought. The focus is on them. But God would like for us to put the focus on our lives, making sure that as we live out in Hebrews chapter 10, we say, God, I'm not here to compare myself to others. I'm not here to get frustrated with others. I'm here to help others grow in knowing you. And as I help others grow in knowing you, and as I help continue to let Jesus be seen, knowing that you're going to continue to develop your nature and your character in me. So as I said earlier, the, I really believe the number one reason we give up on church and we get frustrated with church is because it's hard. It's frustrating. But if we're committed to the process and we're committed to the avenues that God wants to use, then I really believe that he can begin to develop and cultivate his nature in us in a way that, that many of us can't even begin to realize because we've become so accustomed to those areas and parts of our life that, need, that are underdeveloped. And so the most immediate application, I think, for you and me this morning that I would encourage you, the most immediate application from everything that we um, have walked through that I really believe allows God's blessing on your life, his favor upon this congregation, the most immediate application is to take time, look in your heart, look in your life, and recognize, are there things that you're carrying, perhaps towards an individual, perhaps towards a church, perhaps to a church or a place you, you've left, are there things that you're carrying that you need to come to a place of resolution and release in? And when you allow God to bring you to that place and begin to address those things, then I really believe that you'll see his favor and blessing in your life in a whole new way, and you'll find new avenues that he wants to flow through you, not only in this congregation, but into our community. And so I would encourage you for some, that might mean after church today, after we're done, that you might need to find somebody and have a conversation with them. You might need to find somebody and talk with them or just pull them aside away from the group and just talk with them. And when you talk with them, don't tell them all the things that they've done that frustrated you. Just recognize where you've blown it and, and take ownership of that and release that. It might mean that today or tomorrow you need to pick up the phone and call a church that you've left. Call a pastor you've left. Call someone who frustrated you and why you left. Take time to assess those things in your heart that God wants to deal with so that when we gather together, not only do we gather in this room, but our lives and our congregation and our gathering is really attractive to the favor of God, for the flow of the Holy Spirit, and for Jesus to be lifted up. Won't you stand with me this morning as we prepare to close? You'll bow your head and just close your eyes with me for a couple of minutes this morning. Heavenly Father, right now, we just open our hearts to you. And God, I just pray that right now by your spirit, you would show, our, show us our hearts as you see them. God, show us our hearts as you see them. Show us our lives as you see them. Show us our motives as you see them, God. Our greatest desire is to honor you in all things, to keep the focus upon you, 
And I pray right now, God, for us individually and as a church to just forgive us of the times that we've made the focus about us. Pray to help us to keep the focus upon you. Friends, this morning with no, no one looking around, just out of reverence for what I believe God wants to do right now, if you're here this morning and you have yet to make a decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ, the most important decision you can make in life is before you. The most important decision you can make is what you do with Jesus right now. The Bible says that we can experience life with God, life eternal, by the decision that we make with Jesus in this life. And so let me encourage you, if you're here this morning and you've yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible describes a couple of specific things that we do in, in placing our faith in Jesus. The first one is we come to a place of repentance. Repentance means we acknowledge the wrongness of our life, we acknowledge the wrongness of living life for self, and we come to a place of acknowledging our need for Jesus. So we confess our sin, and we acknowledge our need for Jesus. And in that acknowledging our need for Jesus, it's a point of confession. We confess our need, and we invite Jesus to come and take control of our life, to forgive us of our sin. And the Bible says that when we make that decision, by his presence, God comes and moves into our life, and he begins to shape us into a brand new being from the inside out. And for the rest of us, I'm going to invite the worship team. They're going to lead in song for just a couple of minutes. And I want to open the altars as a place of response this morning. Perhaps your prayer this morning, perhaps there's things even as I've spoken that God has begun to work with and deal in your heart. But if you want to come and just find a place of prayer and your prayer before God this morning would be, God, show me your heart as you see it. Show me my heart as you see it. Let me see the things in my life that you see that you desire to work in, the things that you desire to deal with. So as the worship team begins to sing, friends, you begin to come. You can find a place to pray, and I'll dismiss those who need to go in just a minute. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Father, we open our hearts to you. God, we open our lives to you. And Lord, I know for those that have gathered around, God, their heart's desire is for you to just show them what you see. But I pray that that would be our continuing prayer today, God, and throughout, that you would show us what you see. Lead us to things that we need to do, steps we need to take, God, that would allow us to walk in greater alignment with your desire, with your intent, with your purpose, for us as individuals, as for us as a church. God, I pray that you keep our hearts and our lives open before you in all things as we focus upon you. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.